Welcome to Living Through the Word, the podcast of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, the Diocese of the Anglican Church in North America. I'm Julian Dobbs, the diocesan bishop, and I'm thrilled to have you on this episode with me. On this podcast, we have different guests from across the diocese, around the Anglican family, national and global, to discuss topics that matter to us, to you, to ministry, to life today. And it's a great pleasure for me to welcome my brother in Christ and fellow bishop, Todd Hunter, Bishop of the Churches of the Sake of Others, C4SO. Bishop Todd is the founding bishop of the diocese. Uh, he's also the founder of the Center for Formation, Justice and, and Peace. He's a past president of Alpha USA, former national director of the Association of Vineyard Churches, and retired founding pastor of Holy Trinity Anglican Church in Costa Mesa, California. He's the author of so many books, they couldn't fit on my notes here as I chose to introduce him. Uh, Todd holds a Doctor of Ministry degree, serves as the adjunct professor of evangelism and leadership in contemporary culture and spiritual formation in numerous colleges. Uh, he and his wife, Debbie, have two adult children. They live in Franklin, Tennessee. And brother, we're thrilled to have you uh, with us today. Welcome. Oh, man, it's great to be with you, Julian. We are just saying off air that I, I don't know how many years we've known each other now, 10 years or something. And that's it, it's the first least. time we've ever been able to like do ministry together. We're usually talking about that's right. Meetings. We do worship together from time we to do time. Worship. That's cool. That's yeah, true. That's right. true. So yeah. we have we have broken bread with each other. Yes. <laughs> that's true. So um Todd, before we get to Pilgrim's um progress, because that's why I've uh, yeah. invited Todd on the program. Um, we're making our way through Bunyan's book. But before we get there, tell us a little bit about your faith story. Um, yeah. How did you come to know Jesus? And then, if you can, just a little bit about C4SO. Yeah, well, for the former Episcopalians listening, they'll relate to this. I grew up in a very uh, similar church. Uh, I happened to be United Methodist Church. So I considered ourselves like sort of culturally Christian, although I think my mom had a genuine faith. But I certainly had no interest in religion or God or church or anything. I was, you know, typical child of the late 60s, 70s, you know, pursuing sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So I had, I certainly had no interest in religion. But by junior high and early high school, the Jesus movement was breaking out in Southern California. So I was seeing my contemporaries coming to Christ just left and right during that amazing revival. And I withstood it till I got to college. I was playing baseball in college. And one of the guys on the baseball team kept bugging me to go to church with him to, to Calvary Chapel Riverside, where Greg Laurie has been all these years. And he was just bugging me so much, Julian, that I finally said to Debbie, now my wife, God, let's just go to church. Get this kid off my back. Like, what let's can happen to church? Let's just get it over and done with. <laughs> just get it over with. And we walk in to that amazing revival. We get amazingly instantaneously saved. Um, our world just literally changed overnight, uh, you know, doing ministry immediately at 19 years old. And so I'm 68 in a few months, so I'm going on almost 50 years being engaged in ministry, one sort of another. How was it to your peers and family that all of a sudden you've encountered Jesus and obviously life's beginning to yeah. change? Oh my gosh. I remember when the day I found out that I wasn't going to make it as a major league baseball player, I called my dad to tell him and my bless my dearly departed father. But he like cussed me out and swore at me because he thought that my newfound faith was ruining my uh, competitiveness and that that's what was happening. And then I, I, I joke a lot about, 
you know, in the Jesus movement, there was lots of religious stuff, you know, and so bumper stickers and all that. I remember driving to practice the next day with a bumper sticker on my car, you know, <laughs> God said it, I believe it, that settles it, you know, turn or burn, fly or fry, you know, I had a little pin on my cap that said, Jesus loves you. I was fully decked out. In you, were, you were part of the movement, man. <laughs> totally. I was a part of the 1970s Jesus thing. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'm not going to tell you about the bumper stickers on my first car. They okay. were um, before the days that I uh, uh, was closely following the Lord. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so um, uh, we're on Pilgrim's Progress, being published and read and translated more than any book other than the Bible. I mean, let's just stop there. I mean, it's rather incredible. It's amazing, isn't it? Written I in know. The, the 17th century and still yes. being published, still being, um, still being read. And millions of Christians have cherished author John Bunyan's allegorical tale of the journey yeah. of Christian on his epic adventure. He leaves um, City of Destruction pressing on to the uh, celestial city. I mean, what do you make of it as a book, uh, Bishop Hunter? Well, I, you know, I hadn't read it in years until you asked me to read it again. And I had the same, I just remember sitting in my recliner, reading it over one weekend and thinking, good Lord, this book is timeless. It's amazing. I mean, it just speaks to us today, doesn't it? Yes. And it, it, yeah, like it, it defies enough praise. Yeah, and that and that's uh, and and part of it, I suppose, is we can see ourselves in our own journey and in many of the characters that are referenced um, throughout the book. You've been reading a particular um, section of it. Originally, the book doesn't have chapters, so just take us take us on to where you're at and what you've been yeah. thinking. Well, I, 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 the part that I'm picking up uh, on your behalf today, remember, was the part about the deceitfulness of of riches. Yes. And, and my, my first thoughts as I was reading it, to be honest, Julian, was how blessed of a kind of middle-class life I've led Yeah, and how much I really didn't have to think about material things and the material things that I did have disordered desires about, they weren't needs, they were wants. It's like mm. for a Porsche mm. or, mm. you know, mm. a house at the beach or something. And those certainly can be deceitful riches. Um, but that was the first thing I thought of. Um, yeah. The second thing I thought of is that as I get older, Julian, I actually find most those material lusts um, dropping off. Not perfectly, of course. None of us are perfect. But the older I get, I seek simplicity. You're mm. you're a bit younger than I, so I don't know if you're feeling that yet. But it it sometimes feels to me like owning a lot of stuff is actually just being owned. Like, we need to lighten up a wee bit, don't we? I mean, yeah. because th those things that that we have, I'm looking around where I am at the moment and all the things that I've amassed, they're relatively yeah. meaningless. Mm -hmm. And I don't actually want to own three houses, like one in the mountains and one in the desert and one at the beach. It just sounds like too much to take care of. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess the, my first uh, like spiritual internal reaction to it was kind of a thankfulness that I didn't have to face what so many, especially young ministers have to face of a true, a true lack. Mm -hmm. And, and for them, it really is sometimes about needs. And that's what produces those really powerful temptations um, around the, the deceitfulness of riches. Just talk to us a little bit about it. You speak a lot into the culture and um, you've mentioned young pastors. It can be difficult for young pastors, as you've referenced, to see their peers um, excelling, having huge salaries, 
the latest BMW, uh, the home with the, with the two acres, mm-hmm. um, and wrestling with how do I how do I manage that alongside what I sense is this weighty thing that we refer to as a vocation? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think that whether we were alive in the first century or the third or seventh or the Reformation or, you know, World War II or, you know, 2024, every Christian, and this is what I think comes out so beautifully in the book, has to Mm. go against the spirit of the age. Mm. Or, you Mm. know, that German word zeitgeist. Yes. And in this case, what Bunyan's trying to help us see is that the spirit of every age does have temptations towards the deceitfulness of riches. And so you, you think of that passage in First Timothy 6, that um, money is the root of all evil, mm. um, or the desire for money, seeking money. It's not that having enough to pay our rent and to not, you know, to be able to take your baby when you're a young pastor, a young Christian leader, to take your baby to the doctor when they need to go. It's not that you know, striving to have those basic necessities is wrong. It's the lusting for what Bunyan, you know, calls the deceitfulness of riches. And, um, and that comes at us, I think, from different angles, depending on where we are, you know, on the economic spectrum. And we picked this up in this chapter that you've been looking at in a moment, but talk to us also about finding God and some of the things that come out in what you've been reading. Finding God, do we, does he, does he only walk with us through the difficult times or the easy times? I mean, to pick up on that a little bit, is God in hardship? Is he in ease only? I mean, uh, I'm thinking of a, the hymn I used to sing as a as a chorister when I was at boarding school. Um, Father, hear the prayer we offer, not for ease our prayer shall be, um, yeah. but that we may yeah. walk the rubber pathways with thee, or words to that effect. Just talk talk to us about some of those themes. Yeah, I think I think in this area, um, Julian, we all live with a sort of James-like double-mindedness. That that is, I think almost everybody I've ever known in ministry, myself included, we have this deep intuition that God is with us when things are going well, mm. when um, you know the church is growing or people are coming <laughs> to faith regularly, or we're praying for people and we're seeing them get healed, and people are you know, getting off opioids and marriages are being, you know, healed, that sort of thing. Then, then we intuitively feel God is with us, but we don't necessarily feel him in hardship. Mm. And this Mm. is what I think Bunyan gets at so beautifully. I forget the name of the character now in the book, Mm. you know, who says that he's looking for something that's not a threat to his safety. That's it. And that, you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't make me feel like in any way God is not with us. And so it, I think it is a mark. Well, let me just talk about it autobiographically, lest it sound like I'm pointing fingers at somebody. I, it's been, a, it's been a, a hill to climb and a mark of my own spirituality to be able to understand that God was with me when I was sitting in the stairwell of the uh, University of Southern California Medical Center while Debbie was having mm. you know, life-saving cancer surgery. Like, was God with me then, or is God only with me when I give a really good talk, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, because you've been a minister your whole life, we love, we love, there's nothing wrong with loving the feeling that we just prayed for somebody and they were blessed, or we just gave a really good talk that was meaningful to hundreds of people. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that we don't have the same strong intuition that God is with us. Why why is that? You know, if I had the answer to that, I'd write a book like, 
Pilgrim's Progress. Because we just I don't know. I just think it it's a be really, going well, maybe, right? I think so. Yeah, I think it's just yeah. this really deep intuition we have. Oh, I was going to say, but on the other hand, especially those of us who are professional theologians, we've all read Theodicy and read about suffering, and and we know God is with the suffering. So it's like, I, I think maybe this is it, Julian, see what you think, that we know the suffering part and God with us in our head, mm. but we deeply intuit him being with us in ease. And I just don't yes. think we have that same like spiritual intuition. And I think we've been taught, we've been taught, and it's muddled our thinking that that everything ought to go perfectly when you say yes to Jesus, come live in my heart. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And yeah. therefore, there's not going to be broken marriages, and there's not going to be children who aren't walking with the Lord, and there's not going to be a car careening down the sidewalk that takes out a loved one or whatever yeah. it may be. Um, and and then in a moment you say to people, well, people off, I hear them say, what, what's it worth? Why are we doing this if God mm -hmm. allows that to happen? Right. And yet, as you've rightly said, throughout this this book, there's there's testimony after testimony. Uh, by the way, that's how you say that word, right? Okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> of people who are struggling in faith and and, yeah. and eventually and 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 fall away even. And then come yeah. back to know the Lord. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that, I think that's the whole drama of the book is the ups and downs and the circling around issues and coming back to them. That's, I think, one of the reasons why it's stood the test of time is that it speaks to 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 so many of us and and our struggles with the spirit of the age. I was thinking, Julian, just before we got on of how much of the struggle in our age, you know, is around things like human sexuality and gender around economic issues, now around war, and no one escapes these things. It's there for And it's we have everybody. to learn to be, pre we, we happen to be at alive at a time where there's massive brokenness around human sexuality and gender. Okay. What does it mean to be Christ, agents of healing and redemption and salvation in the moment that we're living in? Or now, you know, these horrible wars and People expect us to have something to say about it and, you know, on and on and on. And so I think you're right. It pushes at what was in this chapter about this intuitive sense that we all have that God is in the ease, not yeah. in these big problems that we're faced with. I'm talking with Bishop Todd Hunter from Churches for the Sake of Others, a colleague, a brother in Christ. We're in the Bishop's, Bishop's Book Club looking through Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan in the 16th century. What else stood out for you, um, Bishop Todd? Um, that this notion that, um, you know, the, the character in the book that said that, you know, he would be willing to alter some principles uh, <laughs> to get a larger church with higher pay. Again, how could this be written hundreds of years ago? It sounds like it should have come like... from 1990 <laughs> or the early 2000s, you know, when everybody was <laughs> trying to graduate to mega churches. It's, it's amazing. And, and remember, the character's rationale was, well, it must be the providence of God. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. that God, God yeah. would want me to seek this, and and I I made a note that if this sounds obvious, but it, it probably needs to be said again to those of us who get a paycheck for doing ministry, is that we don't follow Jesus or do ministry for what we can get out of it, or any reward that we get now. Remember the book talked about Demas and yes. uh, yeah. you know that scripture who loved this present world. Yeah. And it's fascinating with Demas because he shows up, I think, first of all, in Colossians, walking with Paul. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And then is it uh, Timothy? He shows up again. It's Timothy, yeah. Where, yeah. where Paul says, just what you have said, Demas has deserted me. He's, yeah. He loves the world. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. then, you know, the imagery, this is maybe the imagery that stuck most with me. It was the imagery of the silver mind <laughs> and like this big pull, almost like a gravitational pull to, you know, turn aside, to get off the way and go to the silver mine and how with just a little bit of effort, uh, you know, you could get rich. And then there's this line uh, that I hope I'll never forget where uh, Bunyan says, treasure is a snare to those who seek it because it hinders them in their pilgrimage. It's, it's not so much, again, that treasure itself is wrong. Like if you happen to inherit money from a family member or something, that's not wrong or evil. The snare is when we're willing to get off the way of Jesus to go pursue it. Yeah, so let's just pick that up because it can be a real, real um, challenge for people uh, for whom the Lord has actually blessed with considerable wealth who yeah. endeavor to use it, uh, the wealth that they've given, given for the kingdom. And mm -hmm. yet alongside of that, there's Jesus' warnings about wealth and entering into the kingdom of God and the, the challenges of trying to weigh up all of that. Talk to me a little bit about that. You're, you're pretty good on this stuff. So talk to me about that. Yeah, again, I think money itself is just a thing. And in that sense, it's amoral. Mm. But if you think of that, you know, word from the Sermon on the Mount of mammon, uh, most of our listeners probably know, you know, mammon was a god, a, a you know, lowercase g god. That is to say, mammon was mammon demands allegiance, loyalty trust, you know, all the things that Jesus asked for in life in the kingdom. And that's where the rival of money and kingdom comes in is when money or possessions or riches of any kind to stay with this chapter can become mammon like. So they, they start su um, supplanting the role of God in our life. And we start trusting our abilities to make money, um, you know, our abilities to mass things, um, rather than, um, than trusting God and, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else uh, will be given to you. Re read us again, Bishop Todd, the, um, the quote from Bunyan about treasure being a snare. Yeah, treasure is a snare to those who seek it. Why? Because it <laughs> hinders them in their pilgrimage. Wow. And what I love about that is his preeminence on pilgrimage. Yeah, his preeminence on discipleship. I mean that, right? That's the whole book, and I the just whole book is there all the way through. Yes. Every chapter, mm -hmm. you see it there. Yes, yeah. it's yeah. just bringing us back to what actually constitutes human life is not our age, or you know, male or female, or black or white, or Asian or whatever, rich or poor. That what defines our life as Christians is this pilgrimage, this pers this lifelong um, pursuit of Christ. You know, it's fascinating to me, Julian, I find myself actually more interested in Jesus, the Bible, my own spiritual transformation. I'm like more interested in it now, even than I think I was 50 years ago. It is, never stops. This is pilgrimage simply, does not stop. Yeah. Is that simply um, a mark of maturity, of recognizing, as you said earlier, maybe as a younger Christian, some things seem more important, but the older you go, and maybe the closer to the celestial city, perhaps, because we're beginning to maybe, get there in yes. the book, we realize, you know, eternity is actually real. I'm thinking of um, uh, who? Charles Wesley in his great hymn, Love Divine, a change mm. from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place. It's there. It's yeah. the letting go, the shedding off, the casting off. Um, the saying, what really is important here, right? Yeah, there probably is some of that. Um, 
my friend and mentor Dallas Willard had a prayer that he used to pray for his sort of mentees that that at the end of it would say that he prayed that we would have a um oh shoot it just went out of my head uh, like a glorious life and a oh shoot I'll come back to me and like this glorious death yes. and you know that's a very yeah. Wesleyan way of thinking about it, it as well you of know, course da- yeah. Dallas was a big fan of Wesley but um so yes I think there is something um to that but I think it also just marks that spiritual formation into Christ likeness isn't like a graph that just goes consistently up and to the right. Mm. There's always ups and downs in our life, or maybe a way of, you know, we think we have a certain thing about the deceitfulness of riches conquered. And then three years later, we seem like we're back there again. And why are we back there again? And again, it's that it's all those nuances that come out in the pilgrim's progress of ups and downs and round this mountain again, but yet this call to stay on the path. And remember the the big warning of Lot's wife. Lot's wife. So talk me through that because because it almost seems to me that the 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 punishment is pretty severe for just looking yeah. back. But <laughs> just talk talk me through all of that because we picked that. that up. It, it had been a while since I I thought about Lot's wife. It took me actually back to the Jesus movement. That was the kind of a that was a typical thing to preach on in well, the you Jesus preach on movement. Lot's wife, don't look back. Yeah. And a lot of, yeah, don't put your hand to the plow and look back. A lot of yeah. um, you know, don't fall away, don't shoot. Yeah. What was the again? I'm I'm forgetting a word. Don't uh yeah, don't don't fall away. So that was that was a big thing in the Jesus movement. So I hadn't thought about it in a while. Well, you know, the book says that while we can't really know exactly what was going on there. Um, uh, Bunyan thinks it has to do with covetousness mm. and or having defied the command of the angel, you know, to walk away. Um, and I guess I think of it as the temptation that we all face, especially I think as young Christians, to um, to want to move back. Remember that phrase to leeks and onions yeah, in Egypt, yeah, the children of Israel. Yeah, yeah. And 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 there's something about life before. I think we can, we just have to say, especially if we're talking about Pilgrim's Progress, the arduousness of discipleship. Discipleship is not for uncommitted people. It's it's, it's, it's tough. You know? it's I think totally you know I'm a long tough. distance runner, and yeah. you know when you when you're at 16 or 17, and for many long distance runners, that's nothing. But sometimes I think. Oh man, you know the end is not yet in sight. I've got yeah. so far to go. Should I just stop? Everything within yeah. me is calling out, mm-hmm. saying, "Yeah, it's a great just analogy. stop." What are you doing this for? It's a great analogy, and I think Julian, that's a really good analogy for ministers who have the joy of the Lord in their conversion. They have the joy of the Lord in their first sense of calling and vocation, and then they get five years into it. And it's not exactly what they thought it would be. They get ten years into it, start feeling tired. Maybe now they have teenagers who are tough. You know, maybe they have parents who are dying, etc. And life gets really hard. And those are the moments where. I think, A, we can begin to doubt God or our calling, and then B, that's when we can start wanting to medicate our pain with the deceitfulness of riches yes, or worse things. Yeah, or what it, what it, whatever it may be, yeah. right? Right, yeah. 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 So how does all of this wrap up for you? And um, take us to any lessons learned, any words of uh, great wisdom you want to share? Yeah, I think for me, it was uh, what it, it meant to be, this kind of monumental warning about not sticking with obedience mm. and not giving in to various temptations. I mean, 
again, riches can be all sorts of things. You could be rich in fame. You could be uh, rich in likes on TikTok. You know, whatever. There's yeah. lots of you know riches, and and so on the one hand, a warning to stay off those paths that want to pull us towards the silver mine of various kinds, but also an encouragement to just stay in the way. Um, that what that the main reason we don't have to um pursue the deceitfulness of riches get in bed with the god of mammon um you know do any of that kind of stuff is because as Je as jesus says look at how much god cares for the birds and the lilies mm. Mm. we don't have to give in to the deceitfulness of riches or think of psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd I often say to audiences, you know, that's just not really beautiful Hebrew poetry. That is the lived experience of David. So just think about that. If you know that you don't have to live under the tyranny of your wants because the Lord is your shepherd, well, then you're, you know, relatively free from the deceitfulness of riches. We're never going to be completely free from deceitfulness, um, but we get relatively free, significantly free as we realize we're always safe in the rule and reign of God and his love, we don't have to look back to anything else. I think that was my big takeaway that, that the great temptation to the deceitfulness of riches is really healed, not by avoiding them, but by linking ourselves closely to God who, who cares for us in this deep way. Bishop Todd, it's been fantastic having you look at this um, with us. Would you pray for us? Pray for those that are listening. Pray for me. I'd yeah. be grateful. Yes, thank you. Father, I pray that you'd help us all um, as we hear this to return such to our first love that we would see how very much you do care for us and that we are way more important to you than a flower in the field or grass that withers and dies that we are your children who you've been forming for many, many, many generations now, mm. and that we are your loving project. So hold us all, we pray, in our hearts, soul, minds, and wills, and the knowledge of your love and your provision for us, that that would always be what delivers us from the deceitfulness of any sort of riches. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is the Bishop's Book Club on Living Through the Word, the podcast of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word. We'll continue next time. I commend you to God now and to the word of his grace. <laughs>